Good morning. Uh, this is the second week of our series on the, the letter of James. Uh, last week we looked at the first chapter in which uh, James reminded us that trials lead to this great word, upamuno, which means uh, steadfastness or endurance. So the difficult things in our life actually lead to endurance, which is the ability to hang in there. And that sometimes that's all that we can do. This week we look at the second chapter of James. I'll be reading to, to you from that chapter. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes comes in, and if you take the notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and you say, here, have a seat, please, but while to the one who is poor you say, stand here or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. May the Lord bless this to our hearts and our minds. The title of the series is Plain Talk for Tough Times, and that is because the letter to the early Christians that James wrote was written in a time of very tough times. James, the brother of Jesus, was the bishop of Jerusalem, and that early church was living in a period of time in which the Roman emperor was a guy named Nero. You've heard of him, not a good guy. And also there was conflict with the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And eventually the Jews that believed he was the Messiah were expelled from the temple. And they, so they, they uh, had a dual kind of a persecution going on at that time. This book is mostly ethical and not theological. It deals with the question, how do we live during difficult times? How should we conduct ourselves? How do we deal with economic and racial diversity in our life? We're talking about trials and the ability to hang in there. James has some really good advice that we need to listen to. He says this, My brothers, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. You must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. No wonder Martin Luther wanted to throw this letter out of the New Testament. He's messing with one of our favorite things. We love to treat people according to their outward appearance. We do it all the time. Our society is based on that. But he calls for a different way of looking at human beings. He is addressing in this letter the two huge problems of human society, those days and now, classism and racism. Let's look first at classism. Jesus says, if someone decked out in the finest clothes and rings and jewelry 
come into your worship, don't treat him any different than you would the poorest person who showed up for worship. James is worried that snobbery would invade the church because the early church was really a pretty amazing social experiment. The commentator William Barclay has written this about the church. He says, the church was the only place in the ancient world where social distinctions did not exist. There must have been a certain initial awkwardness when a master found himself sitting next to his own slave, or when a master arrived at a service in which the slave was actually the leader and the dispenser of the sacrament. There's always been a tension between rich and poor, the turmoil of people losing their homes, being turned out of those. Uh, it's happened then, it happens nowadays. In the ancient world, at the bottom of the social scale, men and women could be so poor that they would have to resort, resort to money lenders. And those money lenders could then, if they hadn't been uh, paid back properly, they could do a summary arrest. They could literally go to a creditor, grab them on the street, drag them into the court, get a judgment on them, and have them thrown into debtor's prison, where of course they could not earn any money. James is condemning that sort of thing. Now notice he's not condemning riches themselves. He is condemning the conduct of riches without sympathy. We'll come back to that later. Classism has been a problem for the church for centuries. I was reading a book about the history of France, and in the 13th century, in France, especially in the southern part, there were a group of people called the Cagots. These Cagots were sort of like predecessors for, for gypsies nowadays. They were small, dark-skinned people, that, and they were treated almost identical to the way that the untouchables were treated in India. You weren't supposed to have any contact with the Cagots. In fact, the church would have a separate little side door where the Cagots would go in. They would sit in their own little vestry. They would worship there. And when time for communion came, they were not allowed to use the chalice, but they were given communion on, with the long wooden spoons. And they had their own font of holy water to not pollute the other ones. It'd be interesting to be in one of those churches on a Sunday morning when the text happened to be James chapter 2, and we read the words that we read this morning here. Do not judge people by their outward appearance. And then, of course, the other great problem that we're dealing with now in our society, one that has been around with us forever, is racism. I was really encouraged when... President Obama was elected president. The idea that a black person could be elected to the highest office of our land. And I know that if, when looking at the civil rights movement that it was mostly the young people, the young white people that joined the African American community in working together with that problem. And in today's movement that we see, it is young people that are joining with those of the African American community and standing with them and saying, we cannot allow this to happen any longer. We must change some things. Martin Luther King probably is the best guide for our times. He guided the country through a very difficult period, and we still have much work to do. 
You know the last sermon that he preached on a Sunday, not the one the night before he was killed, but the Sunday before, he was in Memphis and he was preaching there. And uh, the text that he used that day was the parable of the rich man and Lazarus from the Gospel of Luke. Lazarus is a lame beggar who stays outside the gates of a rich man named Dives. They both die, and Dives looks up from hell, and he sees Lazarus in heaven, leaning on the bosom of Abraham. And Dives asks Abraham to send Lazarus with some water to cool his burning lips. But Abraham says, no, there's a great chasm that's fixed between them, which cannot be crossed. What's really interesting is that the point that Martin Luther King made about this text was this. According to King, Dives wasn't in hell because he was rich. He wasn't anywhere as near as rich as Abraham, who the Bible says was the wealthiest man in the land. Abraham was the Bill Gates of Israel. So it wasn't because of his wealth that he was in hell. King points out that he was in hell because he never recognized Lazarus as a fellow human being, as a fellow human being. We must act toward all creation in the spirit of equals, or the alternative is simply hell. There's a portion of Mark Twain's novel, Huck Finn, where uh, Huck Finn sees this accident, and he's asked by a white lady who comes up to him if anyone is hurt. And he says, no, ma'am, just a nigger. And she says, oh, thank God, because sometimes people get hurt. I remember one time I was driving through a section of Miami called Little Haiti. It's coming from downtown back to my town of Miami Shores. And it was nighttime, and my old car broke down. And I called the tow truck, and I was waiting for the tow truck. And as I was waiting, these three young black Haitian men began to approach to me. And of course, what, what did I do? Judge them by their outward appearance. The result was fear. And they came up to me, and they said, uh, so what's going on? And I said, well, my car broke down, and I'm just waiting for the tow truck to come. And they said, oh, well, we better stay with you because, you know, this is a bad neighborhood. You don't judge a book by its cover. We should have known that a long time ago. You know, when King was in Memphis for that occasion, he was there because the garbage men were having a strike. And they were striking because the law only allowed them to take their rest breaks by sitting in the back of the garbage trucks. They weren't allowed to go other places. They also earned less than a dollar an hour. And so he was there supporting them. And you remember the old photographs of that? The, the strikers, they wore a placard on the front that simply said, I am a man. I am a man. Some of those photos have emerged recently. I'm not a piece of garbage to be crushed and ignored. I am a man. Well, brothers and sisters, Christians have been reading these words from James, the brother of Jesus, for over 2,000 years. Words which forbid judging a person by how they look outwardly, the style of their clothes, 
or the color of their skin. Words that stand against the dual plagues of classism and racism. Friends, it's time for us to take those words seriously. We stand at a unique moment in history. Recent events have exposed the deep and systemic racism in our society, and yet it seems that people are awakening to this fact. And the protesters in our streets are demanding real change, and it is time for the church to stand with them. I'm recording this sermon on June 19th, Juneteenth, the day that the African-American community celebrates the end of slavery. In the days before and during the Civil War, there were a group of people, largely Christians, who saw the evil of slavery and worked to end it. They were called abolitionists. And they, along with the sacrifice of hundreds of thousands of Union soldiers, were eventually successful in ending that institution. What is evident today is that though slavery ended, racism did not. It is alive and well, and we need a new group of Christian abolitionists to step forward to defeat it. We can no longer afford to be silent. We can no longer wait on the sidelines hoping for someone else to fix things. It's time for the church to be more like Jesus, to reach out with love and compassion, and to heal this great national wound. Amen.